Hello, it's good to be here um, this morning. Um, for those that don't know, don't know me, um, my name's Chris Garth. For those who do know me, I apologize. Um, not really. Um, it is great to be here. I, I grew up in this church, um, and so coming here is always, um, yeah, it's really special and a bit of nostalgia, um, but in a good way. It's really good. Um, I feel really comfortable and at home. This is still um, somewhat home for me, and I'm not too far away now um, around Mango Hill Way. So it's good to be here. Um, I'll be here with my wife and my child as well next week. Um, I heard my dad has worked himself out of a job which they say is always um, a good sign of leadership, I believe. So um, we'll be here just to celebrate that as well uh, next week. I want to talk to uh, you this morning um, on a topic. My title is, You're Not As Right As You Think You Are. You're not as right as you think you are. Turn to the person next to you and say, You're not as right as you think you are. (laughs) Some of you seem to be having a, a bit too much fun with that. Um, I've uh, recently turned 30, not too long ago, and I'm um, kind of pondering this. It's a, I'm still early in the life journey, but I've put up a graph. Now, this is just my take and my opinion, so take and leave what you want. This is kind of an age versus rightness graph. And um, when you're five years old, those of you with five-year-olds, you know that you don't know very much, but there's so much to learn. And you ask your parents, why this, why that, how's this work, how's that work? Um, And then there's this like a big spike from five up to about 15. And your mum and dad have told you all this stuff or or your parents or your uncle or or a guardian, grandparents have told you all this stuff and you think, look, thanks mum and dad for that. I'm 15 now though, so I think I've got it from here. I know how the world works and you guys can take a back seat and I'll take it from here. By the time you hit 20, you are literally the most right person who has ever lived. You know pretty much absolutely everything, Um, and you'll be having a conversation with a group of people about um, politics or world topics, and the first thing that just pops into your head is just the most right thing that's ever been thought and said, and they just pop into your head all the time. Um, And then by the time you're 25, you just make me Prime Minister of the country. If I was President of the world, this miserable world, we could sort it out in two years. Um, Then when you hit 30, this is roughly around where I am, there's a little star for me. Um, When you hit 30, you kind of start, oh, there's a couple of things I don't know. Like, I know most things, but there's a couple of things I don't know. You hit maybe 35 or so, this is just an average, and and I don't really know anything. And then you sort of hit 40, and you're like, well, there's, there's no way I can ever know anything. And so your rightness is just plummeting, and you're not full, you don't have much hope for yourself, let alone the world. But then by the time you hit around 50 maybe, you're actually this hopefully beautiful, wonderful person that is, is full of grace, but you're also full of strength and you have convictions. You know what is true and you hold to them, but you're this really useful person. Um, I think sometimes around, um, I'm speaking way out of turn here because I know nothing about this, but I do know most things because I'm still around 30. And um, when you hit maybe around 60, you either become more, more full of grace and more beautiful and more strong, or sometimes you just don't have time for anyone because the world's full of morons and, and everyone's idiots. So if you're, under, if you're under 80, don't talk to me because you're an idiot. Um, Lucky for you guys, though, I am 32, um, and so I do know most things still. So most of what I say today will be pretty accurate. Um, my opinion's right 80% of the time. 
Um, and this is just a rough guide. For, it's more based on maturity than age. Um, I should probably be about at 65% of rightness, um, but I still think I'm around 80% if you ask my wife. Um, and I, I'm kind of joking about this, but I'm not really joking. I'm talking on this topic this morning about you're not as right as you think you are, and someone sent me a podcast when I was thinking about this and, and, and reading the Bible, what God kind of says about this stuff, and someone sent me a podcast of someone um, talking about this kind of idea, and so I listened to it. And I kid you not, as I'm listening to this, I'm like, oh, this guy, he hasn't quite got it right here. Uh, he's a bit off there. Oh, what I think about this is a bit more accurate. And because um, I was thinking about this, I, I sort of just looked up this guy. I didn't really know him that well. And um, I, just a few stats on him. He's 53. Um, he has six children, four grandchildren. He has hundreds of employees under him. He has two degrees, one in marketing, one in theology. And he's got tens or twenties of books and podcasts. And I, I was having these thoughts that uh, I'm actually a bit more right than this guy. And I think for most of us, except the really wise ones here, um, for most of us, we usually think our opinion is the most right one. And that's not a bad thing. Like, God made us beings with a free will to think and decide. Um, but we usually think we're the most, most right person going around. Um, Hands up if you think you've got the right approach to life, roughly, yeah. You can just do a little hand. You can maybe look at your partner and show them. Um, the right approach to parenting, maybe. Who's got the right approach to parenting? Maybe you might have some feedback for your parents because you know the right approach to parenting. Um, hands up if you support the correct political party. <laughs> hands up if you've got the right approach to COVID and vaccines. <laughs> Hands up if you know what advice you should give your annoying friends. Good, there we go. We've got a few there. Hands up if you know how to spend your money. Good, yeah, good. There we go. Or Shane's money. Yeah. <laughs> um, we often think we're really right. And then in five or ten years, if I think about myself when I was 20, man, like, I was wrong on heaps of things. But luckily now, I'm right on lots of things. But when I hit 40, like, it scares me maybe, like, how will I think about myself now? My point is that you're, you're, you're often, we are often not right. Um, and I think the reason is because we all look through at eyes, a heart and a mind that's faulty. None of us have it all sorted, and so we're a bit faulty. As, as humans, we aren't simple beings on a path towards the truth, and we just kind of logically just work towards greater and greater truth. We are full of different hopes and dreams and desires and experiences and past experiences that completely alter how we see things. If you, if you looked at, at, at your hand, if everyone looks at their hand and I said to you, I want you to colour in on your hand, if, if, if this hand was all the knowledge of the world, all the knowledge of the world, colour in on your hand how much you know of all the knowledge in the world. Would you, would you colour in one finger? If you're 20, you'd probably colour in two fingers. Um, but I think, I think it can be a big problem, yeah? We have a tendency, especially in the West, in our culture, we have a tendency to think that we know more than we know sometimes. That's kind of our default position, I would say, a lot. And as Christians or as religious people, I think we're even more susceptible to it sometimes. Because we know the ultimate truth. 
We have a God who knows everything. We have a, a, a book that we can look at that is the ultimate truth. And I think we're a bit susceptible to this. Why, why is this a problem? Why is this a problem? I think that you're not really useful to anyone if you're a know-it-all. You would probably agree. If you're an employer of people, you don't develop people. You usually just squash them, squash their potential. If, if we think we're always right, we don't develop our own potential because we already know everything. Uh, in a friendship or a, or a marriage, we're often damaging because we don't listen as much. We don't trust as much. There's not as much teamwork. We squash the other person. We're often insecure because the worst thing in the world is being wrong. And so we're insecure of that. We don't want that to happen. We get easily offended. Someone who disagrees with us, we can't handle that. And we get offended easily. We stop listening. Uh, people stop listening to us because why would they listen to you if you only listen to yourself? Um, and I think we're of little use to the kingdom of God if this is kind of our hard attitude. For those of you who are Christians here, um, um, non-religion or secularism has kind of won in the West if, if there was cultures. We, we, we were a Christian culture or, or we were a culture that believed in God many years ago. And while we are still based on many Christian values, we've kind of thrown out God. And we're definitely heading in the direction um, of non-religion. And so what, what Christians think, if you're a Christian here today, what you think about the world, it used to be old-fashioned, and which was kind of okay. It was kind of nice sometimes. It used to be old-fashioned maybe 20 or 30 years ago. Now, though, it's not old-fashioned. Now it's, it's, it's harmful and it's offensive. And so as, as a Christian, we definitely need to have a change of posture coming up and living in, in this age. We aren't always right, but we have to navigate that for the glory of God because we still need to stand for the truth. The real question is, the question I want to ask this morning to be somewhat helpful um, is how do we go from being annoying know-it-alls who are unuseful, stagnant, insecure and damaging to realistic, useful, fruitful, secure, wise people? I just threw a bunch of words in there. The sort of person I don't want to be, that I often can be, Sometimes reflecting on myself in my, in my marriage or my workplace and, and I just think about who I am sometimes. Um, it's just not a good person, not a helpful person. And then all that I want to be, when I look at Jesus and who he is, I want to be like that. I want you to look at those bottom words. Out of those bottom words, which one do you want more of the most in your life? Think about that. Which one would you want the most more? I want to argue this morning that Christians actually, I believe, have the potential, have the potential to become the most useful, helpful and secure people in the world. doesn't mean they will be, but I do think they have the potential to be. And that's because that, that our security and our identity and our self-worth is not based on us being right. It's not based on us being right. I am not defined by whether I am right about politics or finance or religion or vaccines, issues in my relationship or issues at work. My self-worth is not based on that. Of course we think it's important to get things right and we have our best crack at it because the truth matters and the truth is important. But we're totally okay with getting it wrong because our creator, our father who made this, he approves of us whether we are wrong or right on certain things. And that's the good news of Jesus, the most right person who ever lived. The most right person who ever lived, he died in our place. He died in the place of wrong. So when we get it wrong, we can be completely secure. 
You might ask, so, so am I saying that we shouldn't, we shouldn't be too concerned about being right and just, and just love people? Love people well instead. I've got a question for you. I want you to discuss with the person next to you, is it the job of a Christian to be right or is it the job of a Christian to be humble and loving? Or maybe you have another option. Is it the job of a Christian to be right or be humble and loving? Tell the person next to you what, 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 what you think. Because um, I'm 80% right, and um, I'm very nuanced, I would kind of land somewhere in the middle a little bit and come up with some amazing third option that sounds really intelligent. Um, maybe, maybe the second one is more important, being humble and loving, because you don't always have the ability to be right. Um, and so maybe it's more important that you focus on what you can always do, and that's be humble and loving, even though both are important. But I want to I listen to Jesus this morning. He has a bit of a different answer to me. Um, and he tells the story in Luke chapter 18, a historical account of Jesus' life. And, and someone's accounting a story that Jesus told. It's in Luke 18. And it's a story of a tax collector or a wrong person and a Pharisee who was in that culture a right person or a religious person. It starts off with a bit of context. It says, To some who are confident of their own righteousness or their own rightness, this is in verse 9, so to people who are confident in being right and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this story. He said, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, the right person, stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even, even worse, even more wrong, even less right, this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give heaps of what I get to God. But the tax collector, the wrong man, he stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He beat his chest and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Here's the main bit. Jesus said, I tell you, this man, the wrong man, rather than the right man, went home justified before God. The wrong man went home right before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves would be, will be exalted. One man was right and one was wrong. But to Jesus, it wasn't just about being wrong and right. It was about pride and humility. Proud people are often blind to their wrongness. And even in their rightness, they're unusable. Even in their rightness, they're unusable because they're hurtful and oppressive. But Jesus is saying humble people can be shown their wrongness. They're teachable and can gain wisdom. And even in their wrongness, even in my wrongness and your wrongness, you're usable if you have the humility of Jesus. The man who was wrong went home right before God because he was aware of his wrongness. And the first step to closeness with God is being aware you're not as right as you think you are. You're actually wrong. And the thing is, we're all wrong. But proud and right and often religious people are blind to this. 
So to sum it up in one word, one man was humble and one man was proud. And Jesus said, it's the humble man who's close to me, even though he's the most wrong man around. This is hopeful. This is hopeful for all of us. No matter how wrong you feel today, no matter how much you feel like you don't get it right, or you might feel like you're a very right person, but on one thing you just got it really wrong. God says, they are the people that are closest to me. Yes, there's lots of stuff to change potentially, but you are the closest to me. I am close to you, God says, when you are wrong. Jesus said he came for the wrong and the sick, not the healthy and the right and the altogether. So to answer this question, how do we go from being annoying know-it-alls to realistic, useful, fruitful, secure, wise people, the answer I would say is be humble. The problem is me telling you to just be humble I don't think is quite enough. It's good and it's useful. It's a good thing to do, but it's not going to be enough. Willpower by itself is not enough. I do, I've, I, a few years ago, I did this most mornings. I identified in my own life, probably somewhere around turning 30, that there was a real problem here. I'm not as right as I think I am. And I felt God calling me to actually more humility or actually beginning in humility. And so I'd, I'd, most mornings I'd get up and I'd be like, all right, I'm going to be humble. I'm going to have humility. I'm not as right as I think I am. Um, and I'd, I'd be all sorted, and then I'd go to work, and I'd, the first person that told me something, I'd say, no, nah, you're an idiot. That's the complete wrong way to do it. Let's do it this way. We're going to go over here from A to B, and we're going to do it my way because it's right. And then I'd come home, my wife would say something, and I'd, no, 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 that's not how you chop an onion. This is how you chop an onion. Have you never chopped an onion before? There's only one way to chop an onion, and it's my way. Otherwise, you'll wreck the whole meal. I can't give you the right answer to make you humble, yeah? I can't do that to stop you getting offended and disagree, when, when people disagree with you, but I can point you to Jesus. And he promises that he can change any human heart. He says that he made you and created you, and so the God who made everything we see and made us, he can actually change the hardest human heart, a heart that's been the same for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, stuck in its same tracks of pride, God said that he can make that person humble. I think the answer is that we need to be with Jesus. We need to be with him. I want to ask you today, do you spend time in your day with Jesus? Ben talked about looking for breakthrough in our lives. How do we get breakthrough? It's by connecting with God, being close to God. God, God will do it all. We just have to stand firm and stand our ground, yeah? But we need to connect ourselves with God because him by his spirit then can flood in and he can flood our being. And then out of us, he can go and help other people. We need to connect with him. Do you connect with God in your week? During your day, do you invite God into different situations? Do you ever ask him what he thinks? If we don't, his love, his character won't be real to us. His Holy Spirit will be left waiting. And so, of course, we'll take offense. Of course, we'll get proud. Who wouldn't do that? Of course, we'll rely on our own ability and our own strength. That's just a human thing to do. If you're doing that, that is very normal. We are human as well, so we'll always have insecurities. We'll always be a bit vulnerable. You must drive the truth of who Jesus is and what he did deep into your heart. That is our only answer. 
The only thing that can make us more like Jesus is to drive him into our hearts. We can't, we can't just change ourselves. I can't just make myself more humble. I can, though, reflect humility. I can pass humility on. When I experience the humility of Jesus, when it comes in and it floods my heart, I then, my heart can be changed and I can reflect that out to other people. You must drive the truth of who Jesus is and what he did for you deep into your heart. It's a process. It's a day-by-day thing. But this is our only hope. And Jesus knew that. So what did Jesus do? When Jesus was, was born, Rome, Rome was kind of the world power at the time. And humility was not a virtue. Humility was not something to be esteemed. It was not a good thing. It was actually a bit of a perversion. It was something to be looked down on. Because to be humble was to be weak. What you wanted was honour and respect. You wanted power. You wanted to be awesome and right. You didn't want humility. And in this world, in this culture, the most powerful and ancient Rome and Greek world, Jesus stands up and he says the most shocking thing. Jesus stands up and he says, humility is the cornerstone of all character. Humility is the most important thing. And it was shocking. But it wasn't what he said that changed the world. It was what he did. What did Jesus do? Jesus died in the lowest place in the whole world, on a Roman cross. And so for for the first Christians, they had to decide. They had a choice to make. Does this mean Jesus is not as great as he said he was, or as we thought? Or do we have to redefine greatness? And that's exactly what happened. They had to redefine greatness. They redefine greatness as humility. And our whole culture is built on that. We actually think humility is a beautiful thing on the whole. We look at people who are strong and humble and we think that they're amazing. It's because from what Jesus did on the cross, it spread throughout the whole world and it reshaped ethics as we know it from then until now. It was important that Jesus was right. It was important that he stood for the truth and that's what he did. But what did absolute pure rightness do? It lowered itself for the good of others. Absolute pure rightness lowered itself for the good of others. If you're a follower of Jesus, for those of you who claim to be Christians this morning, God commands us, have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Have this mind in you. Philippians 2 says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement, from being united with Christ, if you have any encouragement from his humility, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in this spirit, in the tenderness and compassion that he gives to you, if there is anything in you that has experienced his humility and his love through Jesus, then make my joy complete, Paul says the writer, by being like-minded, be like Jesus, having the same love, one spirit and one mind. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Don't do things for yourself. Don't try and put yourself up. But rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And he points to Jesus. He says, if you have any encouragement from what Jesus has done from you, Look at what he did. He was in very nature God. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant, made as a human, found as an appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
I think to be human is to be proud and is to often think we're right. It's often our default. And often the older we get, the more humble we get because life knocks it out of us and we actually get some truth knocked into us. That's usually how it works. But God says that he can, no no matter what age you are, no matter if you're young, you can be a, a humble person from the younger stage if you let Jesus in to change your heart. And if you're an older person who's been in ways that are a bit hard and God can soften your heart and he can make you soft and tender yet full of strength. I'm not saying you have to think you're wrong and just agree with everyone. You don't have to minimise the truth. Or God forbid, say the truth isn't very important. But I am saying if you don't stand with humility, if you don't stand firm with humility, you won't be very useful. Without humility, we'll be far from God as well. God opposes the proud. With humility, though, We'll be close to God. You don't have to have everything right. This is the most hopeful thing in the world. In every other religion, you have to sort your, your stuff out. You've got to sort things out and you've got to do this and do this to get closer to God or to get closer to where we're heading. But in the gospel, in the message of Christianity, you do not have to have anything sorted out. You just have to humble yourself. Tim Keller has a quote on, on tolerance or humility. And um, I reworded it because I think I'm more right than an 80-year-old man, <laughs> um, ironically. Um, I'll kind of finish around here. Um, but he says, Tolerance or humility is not measured by how much you accept and agree with what everyone thinks. It's measured by how you treat people who disagree with you. If you want a bit of a gauge this morning, this is just a practical way that we can gauge how our heart's going. We don't always need to be right, and the people in your life, they don't need you to be right. That's not the main thing that they need from you. What they need is humility from you. They need strength in humility, and what we truly and deeply need is Jesus. When, when I'm coming before God in my day, at any point in my day, and, and I look at the times I'm not humble, and I ask God for forgiveness, he comes in and he floods me with his love and his grace, And he he acknowledges with me that I'm not a humble person. But then he fills me with his spirit and his power and his truth to change me. And he does it slowly, day by day, step by step. And when I fall down, he picks me back up again. You're not as right as you think you are, but you don't always need to be right to change the world, your workplace, your family, yourself. All you need is humility. And only Jesus can bring true humility to the most offended, the most vulnerable, and the most arrogant parts of our heart. Let's pray. God, I thank you for who you are. Everyone has said it this morning. And as we gather together, some of us following you, some of us not sure about you, It's just an amazing thing to look at at who you are to us. And I thank you so much that you you had every reason to say I'm right and you are wrong. You were right on everything, God, but you didn't use your rightness for your own good. You lowered yourself and you helped us. You helped us. You saw us in our need, God. You see me in my need. You see me throughout my life, throughout my days, and you don't use your rightness to hit me. Occasionally you hit me, 
to help me, but you don't use your rightness to push me down further. God, you use your rightness to help me. God, you died in my place. You died in our place here. So we just worship you this morning. We acknowledge you as our God, our Saviour God. What a beautiful truth. And we pray that you, God, by your grace and your power, that you would help to change our hearts. Make us more like you. Make us humble people. Make us, make us strong and humble people. God, so we can go out into our little world around us and we can, we can take the kingdom of God to those who need it the most, to those who are close to us. Help us to be parents that are humble. Help us to be sons and daughters that are humble. Help us to be spouses and friends, employees and employers, God, that are humble, that are like you. Change us, God. We do not have hope except you. Amen.